Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the What I Wish I Knew podcast by Dental Head Start. My name's Chidham, and today we're talking about vertical crown preparations or vertipreps. So what is it? It's basically a type of crown preparation that has no horizontal margins. It means that when you place uh, these kinds of crowns on teeth, you can preserve a lot more tooth structure in the preparation. Um, This is possible because of materials like zirconia, and it allows for basically saving or salvaging teeth that would have otherwise have been deemed unrestorable by traditional restorability standards if you're just doing a plain crown prep. When I asked Dr. Bez, what do you wish you knew? This is for sure the subject he wanted to talk about. And I learned a lot in this podcast. Enjoy. Bez, Verdi Preps is something that you taught me. We've had a long conversation at the pub about Verdi Preps, so I, I was really, really keen to hear it all again because there are so many benefits to this and there are so many situations where this is appropriate. What are Verdi Preps? Let's start with that. Right. Um, so Verdi Preps, or if I'm honest, I actually prefer the term vertical preparation crowns. Um, it's not a new idea. It's actually been around for, for decades and all prosthodontists have known about it for a long time. It's just a crown with feather edge or knife edge margins. That's, that's all that it is. Um, and the reason it's had a bit of a resurgence in recent years is because uh, of um, material changes. So in the past, uh, you could only do this kind of thing on metal margins because if you make a, a, a knife edge margin on feldspathic or, or some other weak ceramic, it would chip. Um, whereas now we've got zirconia, which is much stronger and you can polish it down to a knife edge and it won't chip and it will hold of that shape. But it's not a new idea. It's actually a very old idea. Now, what's the, what's the reason that I like them or a lot of people like them, more and more people like them these days? Probably one of the main reasons is because it's got a knife edge margin, you don't actually cut horizontally into the tooth to create some sort of a chamfer or shoulder margin so you just stay almost on the outside surface of the tooth this might sound fairly minor but actually it's quite a big deal because you end up in a 360 degree way around the tooth when you talk about volume or all of this matters you reduce a lot less tooth volume by staying on the outside of the tooth So it's a lot more conservative. You end up cutting a lot less tooth. This has some knock-on effects. One of the main knock-on effects is um, it becomes much easier to prep a tooth subgingively and 
get a good feral effect. So if you've got a very damaged tooth where the margin of the tooth is at gum level or even is a little bit subgingival, we all know how difficult those can be to prep for a traditional chamfer or a shoulder margin. Um, working subgingivally is really difficult at the time of prepping to get a nice neat margin, visibility, a time of impressing or scanning is very difficult and a time of bonding or cementing is very difficult. But um, with this sort of a vertical preparation, it's actually surprisingly easy. You can go really subgingival deep under the gum and um, grab hold of more of a tooth to get a good feral effect. And um, again, this is a big topic, feral effect. What is it? What does it matter? That's for another day. It's just a very important concept for long-term success of our crowns to get a good resistance form. So our crowns don't debond or break or we don't end up breaking a core inside the tooth. I hope that's making sense so far. I I am, you know, this is one of those ones where it's hard to do it over it a podcast. Yeah. We almost, yeah. um, you would, if this would be the time where you'd whip out, you know, uh, a, a pen and paper and, and start. start. I'm really missing it. my pen and paper right now. That's exactly right. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's all right. So I, I'd like everybody to visualize a tooth that's um, maybe say a, an upper premolar that is heavily restored and has really subgingival margins and has, um, let's say, quite a bit of uh, gingival recession as well. Um, so you've got a bit of the root exposed. And this person, um, you know, the, there's indications for a crown because there's very minimal tooth structure left. And one of the things that, that got me thinking about, about, you know, vertical preparation crowns is that if you were to... Um, have a, like, say, a one millimetre sh uh, a shoulder around this tooth for a particular crown, and the, the widest point of the circumference of the tooth might be around the middle of the crown, the volume of tooth structure you're removing ends up being massive. It can sometimes be, like, 40, 50% of the tooth you end up removing, sometimes more depending on the shape of the tooth. And if it, if it, if the tooth starts off, you know, at the uh, incisal part or the occlusal part at a particular width and then it goes wider and wider around the widest point of circumference and it, it tucks back in around the neck of the tooth, around the cervical part, and then on top of that at the, at the thinnest part near the cervical part you step it in a whole millimetre, this is enormous. So uh, this is a podcast. You can't you can't see what my hands are doing now, but you can visualize like I'm just you know rounding it like a bowl. Um, if you were to not step it in at all, this is what I'm visualizing the benefits of a verti prepper. But I have some questions for you because I I don't do this. I haven't really done this. Um, I've done it a couple of times actually, but I didn't know what I was really doing. But what does that margin? look like you say what kind of burr do you use is there a, a finishing line what does that look like how do you physically do a vertical preparation look, I'll, I'll explain what i'll do but to be totally honest with you um it's i've, I've been doing it for four five years now and it's been a bit of a learning curve and you know, trial and error for myself as well um it's not something 
that uh, there are courses out there teaching it and so on. So even though I'm kind of like describing it, I think it's important to kind of say that this isn't quite enough. Like don't don't just kind of suddenly please go out there and um, pick up and sort of do it. Not from this very short description that I'm giving. It's it's not quite enough. Um, there are some big differences in a lot of the steps between this and kind of traditional crowns. So um, I've got my core done. So core repair, composite, whatever. Um, probably the main step in uh, when you do this, you basically don't leave a margin. Um, there are two types of burr that I use for this. One of them is a non-end cutting burr. Uh, which is basically what you would normally know as those endodontic burrs that, you know, you go inside an access cavity and you're trying to open up your access chamber without damaging the pulpal floor. And because these have a non-end cutting burr, you can actually insert that little non-end cutting burr underneath in, uh, the gingiva inside your gingival sulcus and then run it around the tooth circumferentially and because it's non-end cutting, that means you don't actually cut into the tooth to create a margin, but you're removing the bulbosity of the tooth to get your, um, your, your prep. Um, that's what I use most of the time. You can also use a long flame-shaped burr, which still has a cutting tip, but it's, it's a very sharp tip. Uh, that's a bit more dangerous. Um, but it's got its own uses as well in very narrow access areas where you want to, or, or when you have very thin gums where, you know, a fatter non-end cutting tip does, you know, could injure your gingival margin. I don't know if that answers mm -hmm. the question. And yes, yes. And, and, and when you are doing the preparation in your cutting, how vertical should the, um, the axis, the axes of the preparation be? Is it, are you trying to get closer to the 90 degrees? Yeah, look, I, I am for um, sort of, I guess, ideal preps, prep angulations that we were taught at dental school, you know, what is it, six to six to 10 degrees or something like that. So I try to keep it pretty parallel so you get a good, um, good retention and resistance form. One of the difficult things with uh, vertical preparations when you first start doing it is, um, it's uh, uh, com compared to a traditional prep where you've got a chamfer and shoulder, it's quite easy to leave behind an undercut right down at the bottom of your prep because you're, because often when you're doing these kind of vertical preps, your prep goes just into the gingival sulcus. And because you're not, you don't actually have a very obvious margin to look at, it's easy just in those deep areas to actually have a bit of a undercut or a concavity that you've missed and you haven't seen. And if you're not careful, that could be an issue because it just means the technician can't carry the margin beyond into that concavity. Completely visualising that right now. I think that's where um, you just have it's to a lot practice, of practice with your... Yeah. Um, looking back in your, in your mirror, um, you know, and make sure that you can see the entire, I guess, periphery of where the approximate finishing line or the um, um, margin is. But I guess that that's going to be really important because you don't have that margin to block out and undercut. It really, you can't really have undercuts at exactly. all. Exactly, exactly. Um, in theory, you can have an undercut in an area if 
if you don't need to extend your cran margin into that area. So if, if you deliberately made a conscious decision that my crown can end above the undercut, then that's fine. The problem is if you want your crown margin to be lower down, but you just haven't detected that undercut. In doing the preparation, do you end up, you know, uh, traumatizing the soft tissue often? Yeah. Um, that's one thing that's really different between doing a vertical prep and normal traditional preps. Um, when doing a vertical prep, almost inevitably, you're going to be working a bit subgingibly. Most of the time, you're a bit subgingival. And that means whichever kind of burr that you use, there is some degree of trauma to the gum. Uh, and, you know, you will get some bleeding. You know, some people describe this trauma to the gum as something a bit deliberate. You know, I've seen it kind of called some uh, gingitage, so that you're actually deliberately remove preparing on that inside of a gingival sulcus and that that will then bleed but then that bleeding is part of the healing process whatever you want to call it you you get some bleeding Um, if you have nice healthy gums to begin with you get much less bleeding if you have very inflamed gums when you're doing your prep which isn't ideal you get a lot more bleeding so part of the whole difficulty or or challenge or learning curve in doing vertipreps is how do you control that bleeding that you get before you come and do uh, your impressions or your scanning? Now, there are some schools of thoughts on this. Some people say that you should always, or you should never do your final impression or scan on the prep day. On the prep day, you don't scan, no impressions, you just put on your temporary crown and then you leave it for four weeks for healing to happen. And then you come back, you take the temporary crown off, you've got nice healed gums, then you take your scans and your impressions, and then you make a final crown. The other school of thought uh, is that you can do it. You just got to control it. Big topic, big topic. Um, most of the time, I will take my impression and scan on the day of the prep. Um, If I'm doing anterior cosmetic stuff, then I will not take my impression or scan on the same day. I will put temporaries or provisionals on, leave it for up to eight weeks even, and then take my final scans after that, just because I want a bit more predictability on where my gingival margins are going to end up at. But if I am doing it on the same day, how do I stop the bleeding before impressions and scans? Um, I've done a lot lot of trial and error over the years, and I've looked at what other people do. What I do is I pack a Teflon cord all around the tooth, and on top of that, I put some retraction paste. There are different retraction pastes around. The the one that I use is Expacil. I love it. It's excellent. I just leave it in there, pack it on top of the Teflon, and I leave it in for as long as I can. Five minutes in that time I use, I do other things. And then I wash it out really well. And really, that's all that it takes. By then, um, that gives me a nice dry field. And also the retraction paste holds the gingiva out nicely. I've got my Teflon cord packed into the sulcus. And that allows me 
to take my impression or my scans? I think um, that was one of the the point you made about having to do it on a second appointment and then come back for a third appointment is um, it's not that appealing to dentists or the patient, um, but I understand technically it would be better if, you know, it was all about controlling the gingiva, but glad that you found a technique where you can practically do it in, in, in two, two spots. The more you learn about orthodontics, the more you see it applying to almost every case. It might not always be necessary, but it's almost always an option. So then you think, I want to do aligners for my patients. And your challenge is to learn how to do that to a high standard. But once you've learnt that, many people find that the challenge then is how do you actually make that work within your practice? How do you make this efficient and therefore profitable enough for you to be able to provide that to your patients in private practice? There's two people I think about when I think about aligners and then practice management. That's Dr. Jeff Hall and Dr. Jesse Green. And now they've come together to create Clear Aligner Excellence, their new education platform that is aiming to solve both of these problems for you in your practice while also giving you huge discounts off the major aligner therapy companies. Over the next six years, aligner therapy is forecast to increase by 28%. This is a huge opportunity. Take it with both hands, clearex.com.au. Do you like to scan these or do you prefer PBS? I started taking uh, PBS impressions and then I changed and experimented and now I do them all with uh, intraoral scan. Intraoral scanners work fine. There's a lot of convenience with scanning and a, and a lot of love scanners. But strictly speaking, taking a PBS impression is probably a bit easier with vertical scans. And the reason is PVS impressions as you as you, you know, put your light body into the sulcus and then you push your heavy body or medium body on top, there's a hydraulic pressure. And that hydraulic pressure of squeezing that PVS onto the top actually forces that material, the, the, the impression material, deep into the sulcus and pushes the gums out. And that's a beneficial thing. It means you can get right down deep into the sulcus as, as far down as it goes. Scanners are completely different. It's a light scan. There's no material. There's no hydraulic pressure. There's nothing holding those gums out for you. So those gums have to be standing out on their own when you come to scan them. If they're not and they're a bit floppy or there's a little bit sticking over, it's going to interfere with your scan and you're not going to get a good scan. And that actually makes it a bit more difficult. Hence why I kind of went through these steps of Exposil and sticking to, to make sure that the gums really stick out. One thing I haven't mentioned is I also have an electrosurgery unit, which I find very useful. Sometimes even after Exposil, when the gums are standing out, I find that there's this little annoying bit of gum that's kind of sticking in. I just pick up my electrosurgery and just get rid of it. It takes two seconds. And then I can take a really good intraoral scan. Mm-hmm. And also great to um, stop bleeding as well. Exactly. So you can use the electrosurgeon and not have to deal with that. So if I'm just trying to visualize the actual margin where the technician chooses to end um, the material, is there a very fine finishing line or does it literally go to zero? And how does the technician know where to place the margin? Yeah. Um, Genuine yeah, question. Yeah. Um, 
It's a really good question to see whether there is actually a finishing line or whether there's nothing. I think, you know, I've read a lot about this and uh, um, I've even seen, seen kind of some people describe these vertical preps as either being edgeless or or shoulderless or, you know, all these funny terms thrown around, you know, one of them being that it's a true vertical margin. There's literally nothing at all. Whereas another one is that if you look really carefully under a microscope, you can just discern some kind of a line running around. Okay. I don't, I'm not personally sure if it really matters all that much. I think you kind of get in a bit too almost philosophical about it, whether it matters, whether you can see a line or not. Bottom line is what, whether there is an edge or not, it's so faint it almost doesn't matter. So where do you finish your margin? It's an interesting question. But basically, the technician can finish it anywhere because it's a vertical margin. There's no definite margin. You can have it as deep down, almost down to where your Teflon is, or you could have it a little bit higher up. Um, what matters to me is that if it's a visible margin, and, you know, cosmetically, it matters to me. I definitely want that margin to be into the gingival sulcus, okay? If it's not a visible margin, then I'm happy if it's higher up, okay? I often have to actually talk to my technicians and I turn up at their lab and I have to show them and draw for them exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, these days, I actually do them myself uh, with CEREC. So that's going to give me a really interesting insight into this topic of where to finish the margins. And, you know, a very simple answer for me is I try to go quite deep into the sulcus. People have said, well, isn't that interfering with a biological width? That's an interesting question. And um, answers that I've seen people give to this question is, well, I've got a little thickness of Teflon right at the bottom, probably about a millimeter, millimeter and a half or so. And that is the apical most limit of where my margin is going to go to, because that's how far down my scanner scans down to. So in theory, no, because that thickness of where the Teflon is prevents my margin going out too deep and encroaching onto the biological width. Yeah. Okay. So what about the you know, let's say you took a PVS, do you, and, and, and the preparation was rather subgingival, do you ever get concerned about, you know, invading the biologic width or going too far? I've seen some vertipreps, you know, on my patients done from other um, dentists in the past where it's so subgingival that on the x-ray I see a lot of bone loss around the margin. Is that something you worry about? I've done or? that too. Uh um, we're getting into some interesting, controversial, esoteric topics here um, because there are difficult, di di different opinions on, on this. Um, I, I've had, uh, you know, 80, 90-year-old ladies come in who've broken their upper lateral at gum level, almost at bone level. And, um, we, you know, we said a Hail Mary and went ahead and I did a vertical preparation on it, literally down to the bone. And when my crown went on, that highly polished zirconia surface was down to the bone. And I was like, God, let's see what happens. This is, this is definitely invading the biological width. And I saw them six months or a year later, no inflammation, perfect health, no pocketing, no bleeding. It was all fine. So potentially it matters more that the junction is, is 
you know, smooth and continuous, maybe it's that it's that um, junction that holds bacteria around the surface that it isn't as, you know, you know, sometimes they're a little bit probable and other times they're just completely flush with the with the continuous with the margin. Maybe exactly. that matters. And look, um, I don't think there's enough proper research on this, but uh, my personal feeling or suspicion, and it's not just me saying this, I've heard various other people, for example, Lincoln Harris talk about this as well, a lot of the time when people talk about the biological width having been invaded and therefore that's, that's caused problems such as inflammation or bone loss or et cetera, the problem is not actually the invasion of the biological width. It's most likely that you've just got a poor, overhanging, rough, poorly sealed margin where there's a lot of bacteria. It's being wrongly blamed on being an invasion of biological width, but it's actually a poor quality bacteria-filled margin. So I think having a very good quality margin is what's important. Now, the interesting thing with vertical preparation crowns is that if you do it correctly and carefully, you can actually get a really good quality margin. Um, there are interesting things about the geometry of a vertical vertical preparation. It means you get a very small micro gap. So micro, smaller micro gaps means fewer bacteria. It's almost like a Morse taper in reverse. You kind of need to need to know a little bit about implant connections to understand what that means. Um, the zirconia itself, if you've got a highly polished margin with no glaze in that subject area has been shown to be extremely biocompatible where you get hemidesmosomal connections to the soft tissue. So if you've got all those in place, then a vertical prep crown is actually highly friendly uh, uh, to the gingivae in a subgingival environment. So you can get a, so that's been my experience in sort of in some of those cases where I've been very subgingival as long as I've followed those steps carefully, I've got a nice margin, highly polished at the bottom, the, 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 the excess cement has been completely cleaned out, I've rubbed it all underneath with chlorhexidine and cleaned it really well, I end up getting really good healing and the gingiva almost seems to attach to that surface. But, but, but it's, it's a tricky area, it's controversial. Some people will say, no way, you know, you've, you've invaded the biological width, you're gonna kill the patient. You know, I, I haven't killed anybody yet doing that, and it seems to work well. I think at some point somebody needs to do more, you know, in vivo histological studies to see what's going on here. I'm, I'm not even sure if that's possible or ethical, but it's it's a it's a it's a slightly controversial area, I admit. And do you have any because your bonding, uh, sorry, your zirconias are going on, and most of the cases have subgingival margins. What's your preferred? Do you do you like to cement or do you do bonding? Can you do bonding? I like to um, use a um, a, a simple. Um, so I don't like to use a resin cement. I like, but basically with these preps, you normally have such a good retention and resistance form. So you have nice, tall, pretty parallel walls. Um, that 
you, you're not relying on an adhesive resin bond to keep your crown in place. I'm not worried about this decementing. I don't need that extra uh, adhesion from a resin cement. Now, resin cements, when they set, they set really hard. They're difficult to clean. So with these crowns, as we were saying, a lot of the times I'm pretty subgingival. I don't want something that sets really hard subgingival and it's a pain to clean. And I might not be able to see exactly what I'm cleaning down there. Therefore, I like to use something that is much easier to clean. So the so go-to for me. Something like um... resin modified GIC. So Fuji Plus or Fuji Sem, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, and and you're right. So much easier to clean subgingivally. You can just wait till it's it's half set and and just flick flick it away, and keep that compression on there. Um, yeah, I think I think I was wondering about that because you know resin bonding would be not only difficult but for all those things you mentioned, not not ideal. It's 2022, a time where cloud-based software is enhancing every aspect of our lives. So why not leverage those same capabilities in something we use every day, our dental practice management software. Imagine a platform rethought from the ground up, intuitive and intelligent, using the possibility of today's technology for your patients and your business. A solution that optimizes our daily workflows, creating the edge that modern dentists need to stay competitive and connected. Principal practice management software is this solution. Efficient, intelligent, intuitive. Because it's 2022 and you expect better. Go to principal.dental to learn more. You mentioned a situation where someone comes in, they may have, let's say they've broken their upper lateral, you know, near the gingival margin or up an, an, a premolar near the gingival margin. There are so many situations where a lot of dentists would say, sorry, this is unrestorable. Let's extract and go down the path of extraction, implant or bridge or or they prep the two neighbouring teeth. There are some circumstances where I think it would be, with the patient's consent, totally appropriate to consider doing something like this with a, with a really good core, really good um, conservative ver- vertical preparation. Worst case scenario, it can, sure, the tooth can, can break again, but I, I actually think it is more, with, with the patient's consent, it is more conservative to attempt a final restoration with something like this than to necessarily go and extract it, prep the other teeth on the adjacent tooth or do an implant. I think it is sometimes there are situations where if the patient understands the risk, it's worth going for. Yeah, completely. Um, You know, with vertical prep crowns, I've I've done things and salvaged teeth that uh, it's just crazy. Like normally with any other me- uh, treatment modality, you can like, no way, you can't, you can't do this. Um, the, the basic reason is that um, with a vertical prep crown, you feel so much safer um, prepping subgingively and just grabbing more tooth structure to grab onto, more feral, that suddenly something that looked unrestorable looks really restorable. You've just got a lot of feral and a lot of tooth structure. 
Um, one of the very interesting things is uh, looking at how thick the the gingivia around that tooth. A lot of the times you, you, you look at a tooth and it's broken and there's barely anything above the gum, but if you just probe around it, you just see this, there's a lot of tooth still hiding. It's just under the gum. That's just a thick biotype. Yep, and you can easily take a PA and see that, you know, above the bone there's still tons of um, uh, hidden feral. There's a feral, lot of hidden it. feral under a thick biotype gingiva. Um, that's an ideal time to do a vertical prep crab. It just means you can utilize all of that and salvage your tooth. Other times where you do these Hail Marys where can I, you look at it and you go, okay, I'm going to be prepping down to the bone. And I guess those comes to a little bit of a judgment call, warning the patient about it, you know, probably patient age. Like I said, you know, I've done this in like 85, 90 year olds that, you know, medically they're probably, you know, weren't suitable for uh, subsequent implants. We're trying to avoid having a denture there. Bridge wasn't an option. We're just like, let's try to save this tooth the best that we can. And they've worked out well. And when, so this is my last question. When would you not do a verti prep? When is a time when a when a margin is is really required? We've been talking about verti preps a lot today, but it's not actually what I do all the time. Uh, probably out of all the indirect restorations that I do, sixty percent would probably be Emacs lithium disilicate kind of onlays or overlays or crownlays, or everybody calls them something different, so they're kind of bonded on. And the rest of it would be these vertical prep crowns made out of zirconia. Um, for me, the decision is fairly simple. Uh, if I look at a tooth and it's indirect restoration, uh, I look at a few factors. If I have good quality ring of enamel all around the tooth, uh, no substantial subgingival damage, I will probably tend to go towards uh, a bonded lithium disilicate. If I don't have those, so majority lost enamel, poor quality enamel, very thin enamel or huge subgingival defect, then I will go towards a vertical prep crown. Okay, and that makes sense. I think also if you have an aesthetic situation where you really need the thickness of um, material for, your, for the aesthetic demand, maybe you do need to step a margin in and give the technician the thickness of material, is that the case sometimes? It, it can be. Uh, it can be. I, I guess in those kind of cases, um, I sort of look to see how I, I try to avoid cutting into the teeth as much as I can, if possible. For example, say a patient's got a low lip line. So maybe I can convince the patient that the aesthetics of the gum doesn't matter all that much because nobody can see it. So I try to stay more conservative. But yeah, if the aesthetic is super important, high lip line, and I'm just going to get that perfect aesthetics at the gingival level as well, or hide some kind of discoloration, correct. In that kind of case, I'm going to need more thickness of the material, and I will have to put a more proper margin, thicker margin on there. And and can you blend your margins? So have it, you know, almost verti prep style on the palatal, and then a margin that's cut in on the labial. I'm just, I'm just really interesting. We talk, Can you're you talking do about some next level stuff there. I I haven't attempted that much, if I'm honest with you. So I haven't been that experimental with it. But yeah, probably you can. Exactly. You can combine um, 
vertical knife edge in one part of the tooth and more of a margin in in another tooth in theory uh, but that's that's also the sort of the next level experimentation for myself as well yeah and one i promise this is the last thing i, I just right. um i know we're running a little over but a lot of um lab technicians might not be used to seeing these kind of preparations or um they they they're unfamiliar with, with the all the concepts around it like what specific things do you need to communicate to um, your lab technician that might be inexperienced around this? One thing you mentioned was asking to ensure that there's no glaze um, on the zirconia subgingively. That's one thing. But how do you communicate with them? So um, over the years, I've kind of worked with a handful of technician in different labs doing this kind of work for me. And um I admit it's not easy. If, if you go just to any tech, tech technician or any lab and you just send them this impression, they'll have no idea what's going on. You know, where are my margins and what do I do with this, you know? So you, you need to have this discussion with your lab before you do anything with them. Um, so I've had to physically go into the lab, sit down with them, draw out with them, describe to them, and just have this conversation about what I'm actually looking for. You need to describe the technique to them exactly. Uh, and I've ended up kind of actually creating almost like a lab manual with diagrams and things with points that I want from them. So so it's, it's more than just a quick, you know, two-minute chat. You need to really have a proper discussion with the technician as to what you're looking for. Some of the main points I've that I figured out are important to impart to your technician. So they are, make them understand that there's no margin. You want the margin to be, um, you know, apical and deep, but, you know, ultimately they position the margin on a tooth surface where there's no prior margin. You need to let them know that you're looking for a knife edge margin Um but that knife edge margin also shouldn't be too thin. You can't have a very, very acute margin. Otherwise, if it's super thin and paper thin, that can chip as well. Um, normally, I look, I, I ask them for about a 25 to 35 degree emergence angle, and that seems to work pretty well. You need to let them know that that margin literally needs to be sharp. It needs to feel sharp to your finger. If it's not sharp to the finger, then it's it's not sharp enough. And um, zirconia is always made using um, CAD CAM, so it's milled. So that, but but milling machines can't mill uh, a knife edge. So when it comes out of the milling machine, it's gonna have a rounded edge. So technicians always need to pick that up and finish it by hand to get that knife edge. And as you mentioned as well, Chidam, very important that in the subgingival kind of one and a half, two millimeter portion, it should be pure glass looking, completely polished zirconia with no glaze on it because glaze is not biocompatible. I think those are the main points. Have I missed anything? No, I think that's really good. Like really good points around not only doing preps, but communicating to the technician um, the things that are required to make it successful. So preps, I think um, lots of applications for them, lots of tips on how to make them successful. 
Thanks, Bess. Not at all. Um, that was amazing. Thank you. Um, just, again, be careful, you know, really, really read up about it. Go go look at some resources on the internet and so on. I don't recommend people just go and, you know, Monday morning start just experimenting with this. Um there is a learning. Hey everyone, this is Bez's <laughs> Yeah, this is Bez's official disclaimer that all he said here is is insufficient to start on Monday. Obviously, like yeah, I think it correct, goes without correct. saying that um this this podcast is not is not counted as um you know CPD. Maybe maybe it can maybe be. Maybe it can be. Go go and do the official. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this. Um, go, go, you know, I've got sort of quite a lot of examples of these kind of cases on my Facebook page as well. Um, so you can actually see what this whole thing looks like and what kind of things you can do with it. Yeah, of course. So if everybody follow Bez on both Instagram and on Facebook. So I have seen some of the most amazing cases um, there that, that really, you know, you're really good at um, – highlighting the fundamentals it's it's not all this crazy dentistry it is about getting the fundamentals uh a spot on so i think yeah that would be a great resource for everyone especially if you're a recent grad thanks, thanks very much Adam. pleasure thank you so much for listening to the dental head start podcast i genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.